welcome back to the Informatics Cafe. I am Mike Nighthardy, and I'm pleased and proud to be your host today as we welcome into the Informatics Cafe uh, Professor Joe Cobbs. He's a professor of the uh, sports business in the Hale U.S. Bank College of Business here at NKU. And along with him is Professor Marius Truta. He's a professor of computer science and the associate chair of Department of Computer Science here at NKU. And we're so excited to have them here because we're going to be talking about a website uh, that they run called NoRivalry.com. And this is going to be a fantastic conversation. I'm so excited to have both of you gentlemen here. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. So I guess we'll just start off right from the very beginning. Tell us what No Rivalry is. Sure. So um, I started No Rivalry as, uh, or co-founded it with my partner on the project at the time, um, David Tyler, who's a professor at the University of Massachusetts. And, um, and he's still very much involved. The two of us sort of, sort of run it, and we've uh, had the fortune to bring Marius in on it, as well as um, Seth Agee, in, also in computer science, a faculty member, and a lot of students. And the project started back when uh, I was getting a PhD at the University of Massachusetts. And we started to look at the research that existed around rivalry, like the academic research. And surprisingly, even though it's you know widely talked about in the media and fans love to debate it, yes. um, but there was not very much research around it. And so David and I started to, um, to think about you know, how we might develop a research stream and that turned into No Rivalry, um, and that's K-N-O-W, Rivalry. Uh, and the project website is norivalry.com where we put up results um, and, and engage with fans and the media and other researchers as well. What's, what's amazing is, is that this is some academic research into rivalries. Is, is there, was there a way that it specifically started out? It's specific sports, specific areas? Yeah, we started with college football. Um, I had, previous to being a professor, um, I had worked in intercollegiate athletics mm -hmm. and um, uh, at Miami University uh, of Ohio and then also at Ohio State. And so that was kind of my industry background. And as part of that, um, you know, promoting rivalries was part of my job and also determining maybe who we could promote as a rivalry and who maybe that would be kind of inauthentic, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was kind of making that judgment uh, as a professional, as a marketing professional. Um, and so that just kind of carried over uh, once I, I transition full-time into academia and to being a professor and I started to think okay you know what kind of data uh, would we need to gather and how we go about doing that uh, if we wanted to dig into you know what what is rivalry really exactly and what exactly. contributes to it so can, can you define help us out with what would a rivalry be sure um, I mean we have an academic definition sure. but yeah. usually I, I refer to um, kind of a common definition of it's the opponent that sticks out more than the other opponents. So, so in the case of competition, you know, this is all kind of contextualized in sporting competition in, in this case, um, but we do expand beyond sports a little bit, and I think we'll get into that more in the sure. future. But when that schedule comes out for your favorite team and it's released and you look at it, and there are certain games that matter more to you than other games, and the, that is essentially uh, the rival. From an academic side, it get, we get into the social psychology of it in terms of in-groups and out-groups. Mm -hmm. So as a fan, your in-group is that team that you're affiliated with. It's part of your identity. Right. It becomes part of your identity. Right. And at the same time in sports, 
once a team becomes part of your identity, the opponents become outgroups to you because they're in opposition to you. And so it's that in-group, out-group kind of tension, and that's higher um, between certain groups compared to other groups. This is, this is completely fascinating, and I think that there are so many potential applications here. Uh, obviously not just for, for sports, when you get into the psychology of it all. And, and uh, Marius, we're going to talk to you here in a second about the computer science aspect and, and what we're doing here at NKU and how we're blending together the, obviously, the sports business aspect, the computer science aspect. I know that there's a psych- psychological aspect. Um, but, but I guess my question is, is that um, why do you think studying rivalry is important in and of itself? Yeah, um, that's a great question and one that we get a lot, mm-hmm. um, uh, as you can imagine. I think it's important um, beyond just intellectual curiosity because it's so prominent in our society that we should know more about it. But mm-hmm. beyond that, from a more practical standpoint, a lot of business decisions uh, are made based in rivalry. So sticking to the sports context, when you look at scheduling and league scheduling, um, the perceptions of who rivals are can play a big role in how those games are scheduled and what games appear at what time and on what channel, you know, like the NFL schedule recently came out. Um, and you look at the Monday night games or the Thursday night games, right. and you right. might see a lot of uh, correlation to the rivalries um, that we've identified in some of our research. MLS provides a great example. They have a whole rivalry week yes. that um, Heineken sponsors. And so getting to the business side of it, that is another aspect. When you can package rivalries and do it in an authentic way, which was difficult for MLS uh, early in uh, when they first started Rivalry Week, there was some tension between the fans because the fans thought that some of the matchups they chose were manufactured. not Manufactured. Really, exactly. They <laughs> right. weren't authentic rivalries. Right. They were manufactured. And so, um, yeah, so getting back to your question, you know, understanding rivalry is important if you're going to promote rivalry because the fans will see right through it if Definitely. you're trying to manufacture them. Definitely. Um, but once you can promote it authentically, you can. it becomes a sponsorship inventory item. You could sell that to a sponsor, right, and you can raise raise your revenue streams. Wow. And this is this is uh, amazing because this just works in, I think, in so many different ways with um, really the information and data-driven economy uh, that, we're, that we're looking at right here. And, and so it makes sense to me, and it should be ma- making sense to these advertisers and the businesses to sell the, the fans what they want. And, and they want the marquee matchups between the teams that, that really don't like each other. Let, yeah, and if I, if, please, if I can interrupt you just yeah. for a second, I think it's also important to understand kind of the broader implication of what we're doing. It's not all about kind of making money in sports, although that's my area. But I like to think that there's, that there's certainly broader implications here in terms of um, like the polarization that we've seen in our political environment, Definitely. you know, and Definitely. understanding some of the, you know, certainly there's political scientists that study that, you know, specifically and, and in more detail, you know, we're studying in-group, out-group conflict in sports. But I think a lot of, if you look at our research, um, a lot of what comes up um, can also provide some insights to that area. And we take some of what those political scientists have done and apply it in sports as well. See, that's it, it's another thing that you bring And I've, I've said before we went on the air that we could do this all day and talk about this all day because this, because I've often wondered, and maybe you guys have already looked into this, and, or maybe you will, is that which groups, in-groups or out-groups are more, uh, are, are the strongest. 
You know, because I've also often wondered if I'm, st- you know, screaming at a game with a fan sitting right beside me, and we're in the in group. This is our in group for this one specific team, but it turns out that politically we're completely apart. You know, will that destroy the in group of being a sports fan? You know, and so I don't know if that makes any sense to what I'm, what I'm saying to you here. Are there certain affiliations? that are stronger, are sports affiliations stronger than political affiliations? And if so, is that a way maybe to, to bring us back together as a society after such political tumult? Yeah, I think, uh, and that gets into some of the idea of identification and these different sort of facets of identification and what is active in a certain context, right? So mm-hmm. in that example you just described, like if you're at a game or you're watching a game, your sports fan identification is activated um, mentally. Uh, but as soon as the conversation turns to politics or if you're at, you know, a rally or something like that, um, then your political identification is activated, right? And so one of the things that I think is important uh, for us to understand is, you know, how do we activate sort of more sociologically healthy um, identifications? Um, And sometimes that can be thinking about the um, superordinate identification. And by that, I mean, like, Let's just keep it in sports for a minute. You know, in some sports contexts, there's violence that comes along with rivalries and right. perceptions of rivalries. Right. Fortunately, not as much in the United States, but we've recently started collecting data um, internationally um, and in some other contexts where there's there's politi- politics behind the sports uh, teams um, and religion as well. And so by understanding this, idea, um, hopefully an appeal to sort of the superordinate identification. So for example, instead of saying that we're maybe fans of a certain club in MLS, so here locally it might be FC Cincinnati, you Mm -hmm. know, to get fans to think about, well, we're all fans of MLS. Right. You know, it's not fans of the Columbus crew and fans of FC Cincinnati. Um, We're all fans of MLS and we all care about professional soccer in the United States or even more superordinate. Hey, we're all soccer fans. We all appreciate this beautiful game. Um, And so thinking about that and thinking through the implications of how you kind of go about that is really important, I think, for sport managers and responsible kind of sports marketing. So let's talk a little bit then about the data and and how you've collected it and what you're looking for. Can we do that? So what exactly if if I go to and I have been to the to your website, but if I wanted to get involved and start plugging in my numbers, what would I do? Yeah. So if you go to the website, um, NoRivalry.com. And you'll see right sort of front and center on the main page is a button for take the survey. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend that anybody that goes to the website takes the survey first. Um, before they start looking at the data, because as a researcher, I don't want them to be to be biased <laughs> by what uh, other fans have already said, and so I always encourage that first. Um, and if they take the survey, it does. It is a rather lengthy survey. You know, it takes a good five to ten minutes. You know, I think the average is about eight minutes or so to go through the survey. The survey will ask you. First of all, what league do you want to take it for? So you can Mm -hmm. take it for like Major League Baseball or you could take it for like English Premier League Soccer now or um, any, there's, we have a whole bunch of leagues on there now. Um, And and within the survey, it'll ask you what's your favorite team. And then once you identify who your favorite team is, say you say the Cincinnati Reds, it'll ask you to allocate 100 points, rivalry points, over the Cincinnati Reds opponents. So you can allocate all 100 points to a single opponent or you can divide those points up and allocate them across several different opponents, depending on how you as a fan view the rivals of the Cincinnati Reds. 
And so that's sort of the baseline of what you see on the website mm -hmm. uh, in terms of data. The survey itself has a lot more questions about sort of discrimination toward rival fans, prejudice toward rival fans, um, the idea of schadenfreude, which is right. a German word for yes. joy and other people's misfortune. So there's some questions about that. And that's a lot of what we publish academically about is our findings in those areas, uh, more so than kind of that 100-point measure. Um, but the 100-point measure is sort of once you kind of understand uh, and take the survey, it's fun then to go on the website and look at, okay, what did other Reds fans say? Right. What did the Cardinals fans say about us? What did the um, Pittsburgh Pirates fans say about us? Um, right, right. And then, well, an important part in that process is kind of cleaning the data exactly. and getting it to the point where we can put it up on the website. And that's where involving the computer science faculty and students has been really helpful. Yeah, let's talk about that, Marius. Yes, sure. I, I would just say that uh, you are very optimistic that the survey takes only eight minutes. I, I think it takes <laughs> longer than that. Uh, What's the that's what the data says. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, the, the way the survey is, uh, is definitely some people at some point may just came through the survey and they may just uh, compete it faster without going through the to the survey until the end. So maybe considering that is true. But if someone really looks at all the questions in details, I would say 10 minutes would be very minimum, but closer to 15, 20 minutes. Now, uh, the reason why I know this is because I work a lot with uh, computer science students in cleaning the data from mm -hmm. the survey. And uh, when we look at this data, we realize that uh, uh, while the beginning of the survey usually is uh, very uh, clean data from the beginning, so people pay, pay more attention, towards the end, some of the fans obviously will just uh, skim through the survey, just click on agree or disagree on all the answers, and uh, we look at how much time they spend on, uh, on those questions, and if the time is uh, way lower than the amount of time needed to read a question, we realize that those answers are incorrect, so we have to discard them. So we are doing this, so the data that is uh, right now on the website we is clean so we discard answers we believe are incorrect because people didn't read them in detail in addition to that there are other reasons why the data may be incorrect for instance if someone entered as the rival it's uh, her or his own team, right? Uh, like Detroit Pistons is the favorite team, Detroit Pistons is the rival team, then obviously something is wrong. So we have to discard that particular uh, uh, answer. Uh, and uh, there are many other situations like that. Uh, what I would say that in this particular part, we were very fortunate that we could work with uh, many computer science students and we were held by the uh, Informatics Plus grant to mm -hmm. support the students fi financially. And um, uh, it was a very, very nice uh, group to work with. Uh, we had actually, I just realized before coming to this podcast that uh, we worked already with seven students during this past year and it was the most diverse computer science group of students I ever worked with. And that was just, I would say, coincidental. We didn't even realize that, but uh, we That's had uh, an African-American, we had two female uh, students, we had a school-based scholar, which is a high school student in our group. Fantastic. Uh, and uh, one freshman student and three international students. Uh, wow. Uh, yes. That is great. Uh, so that was something uh, I would say very uh, specific to this project. We showed that the sports is something that unites people of different, uh, Definitely. From different groups. Definitely. Um, and we were kind of getting into the, the cleaning aspect, but are there other ways in which data science 
plays into assimilating the answers and then, you know, kind of taking that and, and explaining people's behavior? How, how does that all work? Sure. So, f- first of all, uh, in addition to just screening the data, uh, the data needs to be in a database. And for that, actually, our partner, uh, David Tyler from University of Massachusetts, he was the one that started working with the Neo4j. And currently, this is the uh, database management system that supports all the data. And mm-hmm. it, it allows us an easier way to query the data to get whatever we want from, from that system. Uh, but in terms of Analyzing the data, it's uh, something that actually we didn't do, computer science students and me didn't do that much. You and David did a lot more uh, and uh, in publishing uh, the results from from this data and understanding uh, the data aspects of it. That is something that uh, we still have to do a lot more in the future, I would say. Yeah, I think where it really, you know, the Informatics Plus grant really helped connect us, um, Marius and I, and then... um, Seth as well, and then and then the students. I have some students that work for me, um, work on the project in the College of Business as well. Um, but what they really brought to the table was we had had a mechanism for cleaning the data in the past um, that used Excel and was more labor intensive than what he was able to uh, develop and what they were able to develop in computer science. So they were able to automate it. They were able to kind of to make it a, a more smooth process to make it more. I'm sure it's more accurate, you know, than than our cleaning process was before. Um, and so that's why it was kind of funny when I was saying eight, you know, eight minutes. It's because I'm thinking of everybody who takes the survey. And so you've got people that are actually eliminated on the bottom end because, you know, they're only in the survey for a minute. And sure. so they're bringing that average down. But when you look at the clean data, yeah, it's it's going to be. Sure longer, right? right? Because right. we know that it takes a minimal amount of time to read every question and, and respond to it. And, uh, you know, we use, uh, I mean, in addition to Neo4j, which I just mentioned, we use Python to clean data. So students mm-hmm. are proficient in, in Python and uh, clean data. And uh, data is, uh, in order to, to collect the data, uh, we use uh, Qualtrics. So the data is collected via Qualtrics uh, survey system. Then the data is pulled from uh, Qualtrics and then p- via Python we modify it and then we enter it in Neo4j. And then once the data is Neo4j, then it can be queried using Cypher query language. Okay. And uh, you can get whatever uh, information you want from this data. Very in good. addition to that, the data from Neo4j is also used, at least part of the data is also used for the website where everybody can see the current rivalries. So when you go to the website and you click on something, it queries the database in mm-hmm. Neo4j to pull up sort of the results then that you see. Very good. Very good. So I I, I have, like I said, we're going to have to do a, a follow-up a podcast on this because this is, uh, there are so many, I think, uh, potential questions and also uh, permutations of this, where you can take it. I think that, that you're really on to something here. Um, and uh, everybody that's listening to the to the podcast obviously needs to go to the website and needs to take the the survey um and you can take it for as many uh, sports leagues as as you want or are you limited yeah no you could take it for as many that you're a fan of um you know and so if you've got you know a favorite team in three different leagues even if they're in different countries um you could take it uh we don't have a translated survey yet so they're all still in english Uh but we have surveys for indian cricket and we have surveys for like I said, English Premier League soccer. We have rugby surveys. So um, I'm gonna have to take one for for the. I, I feel that I'm I'm kind of a, I'm a fan. I have been since 2009. My team plays a big game tomorrow. Uh, I'm a Chelsea 
fan. I have been since 2009. I got to throw that in there. It's not, <laughs> um, but but Chelsea really doesn't have a, a major rival. Uh, you know, in 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 being a fan of theirs for several years uh, since 2009, I got into it because of my brother. Um, they've they've got some London rivals. You know, right. in, in Arsenal and, and Tottenham, and, and and I guess they always call it a derby. Whenever you're playing somebody, mm-hmm. that's that's the you know supposed to be a rival. It's another one of, way to potentially manufacture, I guess, something. You know, we're playing Fulham. That's the yeah, Fulham it, London derby. No, it's not. That's <laughs> exactly the team I was thinking <laughs> exactly, about. Fulham, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I mean, or, so or West Brom, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. But when you look at the EPL, you've got Man U, Liverpool. You know, and and you've got. Man City now and Man U because they're both in the same city. You've got Everton, Liverpool because they're both you know Liverpoolians or whatever you want to. I'm going to mess this up, I know, but but Chelsea because they they kind of have become more popular as of late. They don't have that historic rivalry like Arsenal, Tottenham within London. Yeah, you know, and so I'm going to go in there and I'm going to fill it out and we're going to see what we get. You know, maybe I'll contribute to some kind of. Uh, oh yeah, I mean we're know. I think we we just started collecting Premier League data maybe. A month or a month and a half ago, and I think we have over sixteen hundred respondents so That's far. That's awesome. You know, That's and, awesome. Uh, and obviously, we want you know as many as we can get because we try and collect data from every single club, and we also have surveys for the lower leagues uh, in English soccer. I think That's we awesome. go all the way down to League Two. Yeah. I mean, talking about Chelsea, I was always thinking, uh, what is uh, the impact of Pulisic playing as Chelsea having uh, for American fans? Because I, when I heard that, I was thinking, oh, this is the team I should follow more from. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you know, and the and the the cynic in me thought that was part of the reason they signed him. But he's but he's been you know <laughs> he's to great. sell jerseys. Yeah, he's been great. That's exactly right. I have a lot of friends that are uh, friend that are fans for other teams that have told me specifically they're rooting for Chelsea because of Pulisic mm-hmm. uh, being there. So. Um, oh well, big game tomorrow, and I know that I've just dated this podcast, so my apologies. <laughs> um, so, so where do you have some interesting findings to date that that you can share with us? Some things that you know our listeners should know in the in the time sure. that we have left. Um, I think uh, I'll just mention two things, kind of briefly. Um, one of the things that I think people tend to find most interesting is, and, and these are listed on the website on the main page if you scroll down, but we've discerned sort of 10 elements that contribute to that perception of rivalry. So just to give you an example of what those might be, one of the ones that always comes out as being the most important is the consistency of competition. You know, So, so how often do you see that opponent in competition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another one that is uh, usually pretty important, although it varies by sport and league, um, is the spatial proximity. You, know, you mentioned the London derbies, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got all of these clubs in London um, that are not that far from each other, right. and some of them closer than others, right, in terms of their home grounds or home pitch. Um, but that's another one of those elements. And so there's these 10 elements that show up over and over. Now, that what I think is most interesting is not just kind of that we've sort of discerned the 10 elements across a wide range of rivalries, but every rivalry has kind of a different mix of the elements. So it's almost like a recipe, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. these are the ingredients. These are the 10 ingredients. But, you know, what contributes to, to one rivalry like Arsenal-Tottenham, that, right. that recipe is a little bit different than, yeah. like you said, Man U and Liverpool right. or Man U and Man City. Right. The recipe is a little bit different, you right. know? Um, and so I think that 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 is is pretty interesting um, to see how we call them sort of rivalries um, or derbies, uh, yeah. <laughs> but but they're all a little bit different from each other, you know. Um, but yet those ten elements, some mix of them, 
um, seems to be pretty consistent across you know the hundreds of rivalries that we've studied. The other thing that I'll mention is kind of this idea of unbalance, right? Where one team or one team's fans see a certain other opponent as, oh, that's our big rival, um, but that team doesn't reciprocate. That team's fans doesn't reciprocate. And that's it's really relevant to us here in Cincinnati because both the Reds and the Bengals, we have lists of the most unbalanced rivalries. And Reds or Bengals Steelers is on that list. That's I think amazing. it's number two, maybe, uh, in the NFL. And then Reds Cardinals is also on that list, I think, at number six in Major League Baseball because our opponents, when I say are, I'm showing my own identification with you. You know, here in Cincinnati, yeah. you know. Um, they don't reciprocate those rivalries. See, I was about ready much. to say reciprocate is the big word, right? Is that it's mm-hmm. it's almost it's an unrequited hate or an unrequited love, mm-hmm. you know? It's, uh, it, it, in some ways, it probably makes it even more infuriating. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah that, and that's part of what we study. You know, right. like that's kind of the ongoing. You know, we've kind of discerned where those un- imbalances exist quite a bit. Um, and we're just now kind of getting into, you know, what are the implications of that sort of, we call it like the big brother, little brother syndrome. Yes, no, that, that, that is so good. So um, what, what's, where is this going? Where, where do you want to take it next? Yeah, I think, you know, we've, we did a, a, thanks to a lot of students' help in terms of data collection, you know, we did a big data collection starting in college football. Um, we've done a couple rounds in college football. We did around 2013. We did another round around 2016 of data collection. We did the major professional sports in the U.S. 2018, and we just are doing another round right now. But as I said, we're expanding internationally. And, um, and I think w- what we want to see is, is the findings that we found in North America, you know, how do those apply worldwide? Because once you get into some, p- specifically soccer, but not only soccer or football, if you want to call it uh, football, rivalries, um, you get much more uh, cultural elements in there. Right. By that, I mean religion, politics, um, immigration status can be a big one as well, tied to certain clubs. Um, and so... To study those rivalries, I think we're going to get some unique sort of formulas of that recipe um, within the rivalry, and um, and so we want to we want to do that. And then another element that we want to get into is kind of the individual sports, you know, where we're not talking about necessarily sort of pride in place, which tends to be a big aspect of, of sports identification with teams is that they represent a place. Um, and individuals do also to a certain extent, individual athletes. But I think, you know, looking at some of the tennis rivalries, I know Marius is a big tennis fan and, and I am as well. And Formula One is a mm-hmm. great, I'm a big Formula One fan and do some research there as well. Um, but looking at some of those rivalries, I think that we'll also find some other interesting aspects that we don't necessarily, uh, or I should say that are unique Very compared cool. to team sports. Very cool. Well, I, I want to thank you both so much for, for joining us in the, the cafe today. It has been uh, my pleasure to speak with both of you, and I, I look forward to the next opportunity for us to meet back in the cafe and continue this conversation. Um, I know that our listeners are going to absolutely love it, and hopefully, we're going to. Uh, the listeners are going to go and increase the, the findings even more. Um, I know that I'm going to, and, and want to stay tuned and learn more about it. Um, and so, thank you both for being here today. Sure, our pleasure. Thank you very much. Informatics Cafe is a production of Informatics Plus, the outreach arm of Northern Kentucky University's College of Informatics. Hosted by Mike Nitardi, produced by Chris Brewer, music and engineering by Aaron Zlatkin, recorded at the Informatics Audio Studio in Griffin Hall. 